John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 818.jb1414, certificate number 29314. Bridie Murphy. Scratch the paint off of my bed. There's a metal bed. I scratched the paint off of it. Why did you do that? I don't know. I was just mad. What is your name? Mm-hmm. Bridie. Your name is what? Heidi hmm. Murphy. Where do you live? I live in Cork. Now, the future listeners will not Cork. care about this at all because they don't have the Gregorian calendar, and maybe they don't have any calendar. As far as you know. They may not have the sun. Yeah, maybe Pope Gregory is huge then. Futurelings may be Gregorian calendars. Like their little desk calendars? Mm-hmm. Like, do their, does it open and close like a Muppet uh desk calendar it, it could be a thing where after the explosions have blown out all the windows all the desk calendars sat flapping in the wind and that flapping motion was enough to uh <laughs> to create, to create life yeah to so create life and ultimately ultimately consciousness well humor is one of the hardest tasks for any uh you know artificial intelligence algorithm but if you if you could feed enough far side panels into a matrix maybe you could produce just mass produce intelligence. I mean, think about what, what are Tibetan prayer flags? They're meant to say those prayers as they flap in the wind, right? That's how the, the prayer flag concept works. All I'm saying is we don't even know, like they could, maybe they don't have day and night. They may not have the sun. Oh, I see. They certainly don't have our yearly 12 month calendar, but in our era, uh, it is the season of Halloween. That wasn't Corinthian doing a sound effect. That was a real ghost. Oh, the real ghost. Uh, no, it was not a ghost. Oh, wow, it's back. That's crazy. Uh, I was trying to figure out on the way over here if you are a Halloween guy. Because mm. on the one hand, you're Mr. Dress-Up. Mm-hmm. Mr. Dress-Up. Love, love, love an outfit. La-dee-da. But on the other hand, you seem like you would not be a fan of uh, millennials absorbing something which really rightly should be the custom of children in our generation. Oh, uh, when I was a kid, my two favorite holidays were 4th of July and Halloween. 4th of July for obvious reasons. Wow, take that, Jesus. Because I was a pyromaniac and loved anything that you could light on fire. And then Halloween because it was... Because you were soaping windows. I mean, it's such a magical night. Why? Because people give you free sugar? Well, no, because you, you, you sit there with your mom with the lights out looking at your Halloween tree 
waiting for <laughs> the great pumpkin to arrive. It's, it's, it was a little different in your household. <laughs> there was less sitting with my mom on Halloween when I was a kid. No, I love to dress up. I love to go out in the, you know, in the night. And you are one acquainted with the night. Yeah. You and, have walked out in rain and back in rain. You have not walked the farthest city light. No. You, you like alleys is what I'm saying. I like an alley. I'll walk down an alley. But nobody, you know, nobody's giving you candy corn in an alley. Or if they offer, you should probably not go. I belong to the streets. I belong to the city. I'm living in a river of darkness, Ken. You belong to the city. You belong to the night. Yeah, that's right. So you don't mind that uh, it's kind of become an adult thing where everyone's dressing up as, as slutty Waluigi. I mean, I have, I have, as you can imagine, very strong feelings about how you should celebrate Halloween. I don't think that you should celebrate Halloween for an entire week. I don't think that you should. If well, Halloween I'm, falls on a Wednesday, I think you should celebrate it on a Wednesday. But uh, it's the day before and I'm already dressed like Austin Powers right here. You think that's in poor taste? I couldn't tell. <laughs> you always you, you always, always show up in a purple velvet suit. You always basically dress like 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 Austin Powers, like a thrift store Austin Powers. <laughs> uh, no, I like Halloween. I think Halloween is a good holiday. Also, it has some like all the great holidays. It has something ageless about some, Satan. Something about Satan. Like it's, all the great holidays. You know, we we have the we have the holidays where we laugh, and we should also have holidays where we cry, right? The Jews have. Celebration holidays, but also sad crying holidays. You're saying Halloween is a day of mourning to you. No. Do you, do you fast? No. Do you cover the mirrors? I do not fast, no. But you know, Christian holidays, there are thoughtful ones. Sure, we got Good Friday. But there aren't like scary ones. We don't confront the dark. We don't have Day of the Dead in, in North America, in, uh, you know, Anglo-Christian tradition. So Halloween kind of fills in that gap. And then you know, when I became a teenager, Halloween was absolutely my favorite holiday because I was a... I was a terrible, terrible kid, a plague on my neighborhood, and ultimately a plague on all of Anchorage, Alaska. But it just, to this day, they talk about you. <laughs> they do. They do. Do you remember the Halloween of 1984? Ugh. Throwing eggs? Ugh. No, 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 not eggs. That's a, those are bad kids, but. What's, what, what do good kids do instead? Toilet paper. Mm. Toilet paper and fork. I'm and... impressed they have toilet paper in Alaska. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was new. <laughs> it was made out of reeds. <laughs> it was made out of blubber. <laughs> do you like Halloween? Uh, so I love Halloween as a children's holiday. You like candy. I do like candy, although I don't like a lot of Halloween candy. I don't like those little wax pumpkins. don't like candy corn. Wax pumpkins? Who... You've seen Who the, likes those? Right. Why do they sell that those? That seems like a straw man. I don't like Halloween candy. <laughs> I don't like that famous Halloween candy that everyone likes. Those little wax pumpkins. You know, that, that candy made out of crickets. I don't <laughs> like that either. <laughs> I don't like Tootsie Rolls. I don't like a lot of the canonical Halloween candies. Yeah. I like the. I, I just want a little candy bar. If Like if it's a house that's not giving out full-size candy bars, which would it kill them? Like they should at least be giving out the fun-size candy bars. I, I, you just threw major shade on anybody that doesn't give out a full-size candy bar. Well, it's, you know, in my neighborhood, there's a few houses that do it, I think maybe because um, it's a creepy guy that wants to touch more kids. Uh-huh. And all the kids know, like every year, it's like, last year, this house had full-size candy bars. But sometimes they'll go, and guess what? They won't have them this year. You know what? Full-size candy bars aren't what they once were. So what I want is a house that gives out vintage candy bars. <laughs> Hershey bars that are with the dimensions that they had in 1980. But like, have they kept them for 30 or 40 years? No, I don't think they would keep. The Hershey turns gray and crumbly in like 10 minutes. I'm not going to get into this, like, are you pro or con Hershey? Oh, I, I've I, didn't, spent, I didn't know that was such a minefield. I've spent a lot of time on the internet arguing with people about Hershey People bars. from Pennsylvania? Well, and from England, you know, who think that they're 
Cudbury bars. So we're getting pretty far afield here, which we never do. But uh, when I was in England last summer, there were all these um, kind of big, glitzy, Wonka-y candy stores in all the tourist centers, you know, near Trafalgar Square or Piccadilly or whatever. And I went into one with my kids because they're just, it's a siren song for children. Right. And you know what they had? They did not have like fun international candy. They had- Licorice and, and little pumpkins. They had American, they had like to them, over-the-top excess is just our regular food. So it's like, look at this, Pop-Tarts in three flavors, Frosted Flakes and Lucky Charms. They straight up had like our regular food and they were like, look at this crazy junk food. <laughs> and it was and it was just like shelves and shelves of American candy. And, wow. to, to, and I was like, you guys have really good chocolate in this country. You don't have to eat Butterfinger. But to them, it sets their little hearts racing. The equivalent here in America would be a little shop in Times Square that you walked in and the eggs and the cream were just sitting on the shelf unrefrigerated. <laughs> and there were a bunch of cans of beans. And, uh, and that'd be about it, right? I honestly think to them, it's more like if meth were legal. It would be like here going in some store, they just sell all these different kinds and <laughs> colors of meth. You know, because... That's what they want, but they don't have it in their tradition. But uh, they don't, they've only just started celebrating Halloween in yeah, we've definitely, the UK and we've, other places. We're colonizers again. I think the uh, Australia and places are starting. I saw a picture on the internet this week of somebody in Australia putting up a sign that said, if you're trick-or-treating, this isn't America, you little C words. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so it's become another uh, proxy for hating America. Yeah. But Halloween. De <laughs> but deserved. <laughs> I mean, if you are not prepared to give candy out to strangers, you should not have to give candy to strangers at your home. Well, just do what we do here in America. Turn off the lights. Turn <laughs> off the lights and go inside. I definitely knocked it with my kids a couple of years ago at a door where it was um, uh, maybe a recent uh, immigrant couple that did not know what was going on. And, oh. they, and they kind of looked a little, they did not know to turn off their lights, you know. Right. So they kind of looked a little... They kept answering the door hesitant. all night long, like... What is happening? Why are you doing this to us? Well, they withdraw into their house, and I'm like, what is she going to come back with? Like, is she going to give us, like, right. pancakes? Or, like, <laughs> what is about to happen? Unleavened bread? And she comes out with her purse and, like, gives my son a dollar bill. Oh. Just to get him to go away. And, of course, he's over the moon. That was the best thing that happened all night, is some poor Chinese ladies scared into giving him a buck. That would be expensive over the course of a night, though, like... I just gave away $80. Maybe, I think it was when our kids were kind of little. Maybe this was early and at that point she'd figured it out and turned off her lights. Or maybe she just thought it was extortion night here in the land of the free. Wait, I'm just realizing, just give every kid a dollar. That just changes the whole game, right? I mean. It, it, for, for, the, for the better or? Well, yeah. That, that, I mean, a full-size candy bar per kid is going to cost you. I mean, yeah. I guess you get them in bulk. You get them less for a dollar, but 50 bucks. 50 bucks should take care of every kid and you're the hero of the world? I just give them Bitcoin. Oh, really? <laughs> no, you know what kids actually like, which you can get for a quarter at a used bookstore, is like old comics. I put out, oh. I put out, I give, I give them candy too. Because if you don't give them out candy, you're like the dentist family that's sure. giving out toothbrushes. Try these Halloween. chick comics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, get, I always have the weird Christian Archies. <laughs> Why do we talk about, why do we talk about those on every entry? Christian Archie's. I love Christian Archie. Uh, no, it's just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll find old comics, but with people they know, oh, it's Wonder Woman, it's Wolverine, you know? Right. And kids will love to just pick out a comic from a little card table in addition to. I mean, I, I, thinking back to my Halloween before all those razor blade scares and, and Tylenol murders, there were people that would hand out candied apples you know, they'd come out with a tray of freshly made homemade fudge. candied apples and fudge and, and you'd get fruit sometimes and, and not like them, but, but also <laughs> right. toys and stuff. Like, did you trick or treat for UNICEF? 
No. How does that even work? I trick-or-treated for one entity, Ken Jennings. Uh, trick-or-treating for UNICEF was a thing where you went around your, you went around your neighborhood pre-trick-or-treat hour. So like, like in the afternoon? Yeah. Late afternoon, sort of five o'clock. You went around with a box that said UNICEF. It was like a cardboard box you got at school and you tried to collect money. Oh, you're not getting candy. You're not getting Snickers bars to send to Audrey Hepburn. No. And, and a lot of kids were doing it at the time. And I guess this is the mid seventies. You'd fill up that box and I, and then send the money, take the money to school. And it went to UNICEF and I, you know, I don't know what it did. It bought fertilizer or something for, there were a lot of, uh, famines in the seventies that we were, everyone was afraid that we were on our way to a global famine. I don't know if you remember global famine as the, as the, uh, as the band that as, you liked as the panic cause of 1977. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm putting my hand to one of my earphones right now so I can sing yeah. a jaunty anthem about how, how I'm against famine. The world. We don't like famine. <laughs> Please eat food. Take it, Rod Stewart. <laughs> Tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. That's a, that's a, that's a tasteless lyric. That's awful lyric. Really? Yeah, we know, we know um, Elton John or whoever sings that part. No, it wasn't Elton John. Isn't that, uh, was it Bono that sang that? It seems very Bono. <laughs> Bono's just going to go home and tuck into his, his <laughs> Irish soda bread and corned beef and be like, boy, they don't have this in Ethiopia, do, do they? Do they know it's Christmas? Why would they care it's Christmas? There are Ethiopian Christians. A few there, of them might know it's Christmas. No, there are a lot of Ethiopian Christians, but they weren't talking about Ethiopia and we are the world. Weren't they talking about somewhere in... Well, do they know the Christmas and we are the world are two different things, but no, I thought they were both... The, I thought they were both uh, Ethiopia. Yeah, we are the world and USA for Africa and Hands Across America were all in response to the mid-80s Ethiopian and Sudanese famines. Oh, you looked it up. And they... Uh, Hands Across America, really? Yeah. And they raised over $50 million over, over time and have delivered tremendous uh, amounts of that money in the form of humanitarian aid. Well, once our empire declines, they'll be doing hands across Ethiopia to benefit us. To benefit the Americans. So it'll all, what goes around comes around. Actually, what they're doing now is they're building Chinese railroads across Ethiopia. <laughs> right. And everywhere else. And that's not going to benefit the United States. Uh, I like Halloween. I kind of chafe at this idea that it just becomes an excuse for child men to day drink for a week mm -hmm. every, every fall. Agreed. Um, you, you, you've made a couple of disparaging comments about millennial appropriation of Halloween. What are the millenniums doing that are they just, it's a drinking holiday now? Well, yeah, they didn't figure out that it's a children's holiday. Yeah. Like, they, like they thought, well, I did this as children. I'm going to keep doing it forever. That's the, that's right. the millennial entitlement. I should, sure things should be <laughs> like they were for me always. That's kind of the boomer entitlement too, actually. And, my and my number one objection is uh, when people go to Halloween parties and don't dress up or make, yeah. uh, make or no make a token. Th what if they have a, a lame sign? Yeah. Or like a, oh, fake mustache that I got at the drugstore. Like, no, no, it's. Like live a little, you know? I will definitely give candy to teens who are too old to be trick-or-treating, but only if they dress up. Like if they're just teens who want candy, I'm not giving them candy. What do you do? What do you say to a teen who's standing there sullenly on your porch wanting candy with no costume? The thing about these teens today, they're too lazy to actually soap my windows or whatever. They don't, they'd have to, they'd have to find a YouTube video to tell them how to do it. Right. So, they, so you can just be like, you didn't dress up, go away and, and close the door. And they just slump off. They do. They're, they're bummed though. Maybe they say something mean about me on next door. Meh. <laughs> uh, you do have to be, uh, you know, I'm mindful of the fact that Halloween is meaningful to like, you know, some segment of the queer population where it's a, now it's a chance to actually let your freak flag 
fly. It, it in was front of back, the what, back when there were no opportunities to let your free plane <laughs> fly, but now I think it's lost. It's devalued. Yeah, for sure it is. Well, I just remember like kind of uh, thinking uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show was the dumbest, you know, because, yeah. because I didn't get it. I was, I'm, I'm Brad and Janet, you know, like I don't. Yeah, but that was 1985. I, I, <laughs> I mean, the last time, I mean, the only people that go to see Rocky Horror Picture Show now are 50 years old. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's yeah. my, that's my peer group. Yeah. I, who are I, just like, remember, remember when, <laughs> when this was all we had? Yeah. And I didn't, that's what I didn't realize. Like yeah. it was all they had. So, but, um, and Gloria Gaynor, but I do love like the spooky macabre kind of, uh, aspects of Halloween. Um, I like to be scared. I like a scary movie. Do you get scared? I get like, I get scared of things that are a bummer. I get scared of dying alone. No, no, no. But I mean, do you get scared? Do you, we've never really discussed your feelings about ghosts and monsters. Uh, like if I watch a scary movie, like I will pull the covers, I'll go straight to bed and pull the covers up around. Like supernatural face. stuff will get inside your head. Yeah. Not, and not cause I think really on some level, wait, what if they are living in my house? I'm pretty sure they're not. I mean, right. Everybody has a cell phone now. We would have seen sure the ghosts or the lizard man or whatever. Sure. Um, but movies do get inside you and not really not just like slasher movies with jump scares. Like it's really like the movie with some kind of disorienting off putting otherworldly thing going on. Right. David Lynch type sound design or weird Stanley Kubrick camera work, or that's the kind of movie that messes me up and that's coming back. Like that's, that's today's horror movie. Weird offbeat. Like not, not the whole like blood coming out of the toilet stuff, but, but, uh, yeah, not, not that somebody's hiding behind the door with an ax, but really more like, um, your troubled relationship with your mother is hiding behind the door with an ax and <laughs> you get hereditary and the Babadook and the witch and all these movies where the horror actually is something horrific and not just a dude in a William Shatner mask. The Babadook is a perfect example. One of my favorite internet memes is the, um, is the young woman who went to a Halloween party and dressed meticulously as the Babadook. And then showed up and realized it was like a millennial Halloween party where nobody had a costume on and they were just all sitting around drinking wine and watching TV. In our generation, that was a prank. You'd tell one party that it was a costume party. It was, it was bullying, basically. There's this genius picture of her sitting on the couch at this otherwise like completely pedestrian party <laughs> and she's just like Babadook from head to toe and just, you know, trying to pull it off. Well, I hope she's happy. Like, you know, people who, you know, there are people for whom it's Halloween every day now, people who are LARPing and cosplaying in various ways. I think she's happy because it became a meme that has gone around the world. I mean, she's made me happy. I hope it exists in the future. Uh, the least spooky decade though, to me, when I was thinking about this last night is the 1950s. Not spooky, you say. Spooky in real life, spooky, you know, the Red Scare, the bomb, the communists, nuclear winter, right. scary for real. And yet a real uh, lull in terms of the macabre, macabre, the macabre horror culture is, uh, kind of takes a break in the fifties. All those great universal monster movies of the thirties and forties are done. The Haunting of Hill House and Psycho will not come out until 59. So there's not even iconic, scary books. Hitchcock is, is doing kind of lush technicolor psychodrama like Red Window and Vertigo or big entertainments like North by Northwest. Even the master of suspense is not actually scaring people very much. Yeah. I guess the Munsters and all of that stuff didn't right. happen until the sixties. Yeah. The sixties is when you get that kind of revival of kind of spooky in kind of a jolly fun right. party store vein where you get the Munsters and the Adams family. All that, uh, rat fink 
um, hot rod culture that was kind of monstery. Yeah, yeah, mo- the monster mash. The monster mash. The idea that monsters are fun and goofy, but also it's kind of a spooky gothic vibe. Right. But and yet, real gothic stuff had kind of ended in the '40s. There were a ton of you know great moody black and white haunted house movies uh, in the '40s, but. In the fifties, not so much. I so mean, no fun in the fifties. Flying saucers, I guess. Like, but that was forty forty seven. Was the first flying saucer? I guess it must have continued, right? Yeah. Like, there was some of that, like the unexplained is around us. Um, but to me, the great spooky uh, unexplained fad of the fifties um, has to do with reincarnation. The case of Bridie Murphy. Uh, are you a believer in reincarnation? Do you believe you've lived past lives, John? <clears throat> There are people close to me, even members of my own family, who um, believe in reincarnation and who talk about it at family gatherings as though it's a thing we all know to be true. That's cool that you're not naming them here because you're about to diss them, I think. <laughs> so I am, I am well versed in the doctrines of reincarnation. The, you're, you're an initiate? Uh, I know all about, and, and you know, and it is, it's an example, I think, of like, how pop Buddhism yeah. sort of went into the culture and just got pushed into the cookie dough of all the pop Asiatic philosophies. Because in Buddhism, it is not a fad. It really is the purpose of life to right. keep coming back and your karma determines whether you're progressing or not. It's really the basis of everything they believe about the purpose of life. And here it's more of a fun thing for rich ladies. To well, do. yeah, it's just sort of a like instant karma is going to get you. And if it doesn't, yeah, we, we, we use <laughs> karma to mean like getting splashed by a, a mud puddle if you flipped off a car or something. Right. But the, but the idea being, uh, I think that as practiced in my family, that you come multiple times, sort of again, like a half understood Buddhism, you come and play out life after life in order to work your way up a ladder, some universal ladder that each time you have a new thing to learn, each life you have a new a new thing to overcome on your way to being, I guess, in the light. And if you don't learn it, you're going to come back as something and worse. You come back. If you were a human, you might be a, a raccoon, a, a washing bear. If so, you were a St. Bernard, you might be a rock. So there's that, it's the double edge, right? Of um, coming back is a punishment because you didn't, you didn't figure it out. You were a bad driver in this life. So you're going to come back as a traffic cop. But also, oh, it's a Twilight Zone irony, uh, reincarnation. A little bit, but also then you know, like life isn't thought of as a prison either. It's thought of as a a Sunday school. Like you're here right. to learn that lesson again, Johnny. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash 
iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Well, in kind of the decadent Western dumbed down version of reincarnation, the, you know, the holes that are often poked in it are the following. First of all, everyone thinks they were someone famous. Oh, well, so this is past life cult, right? Or past life um, pop sensation, which sure. is I mean, somewhat it, different than reincarnation, well, it's, right? It, it's implied, right? Unless this is my first life, I must have been somebody before I was me. Right. And, you know, if you don't remember, does it even count? Well, that's, that's, that's what I don't understand about reincarnation. I don't think in Buddhist tradition, you wake up in the middle of the night and go, I was a Scottish prince, <laughs> right? I mean, you just, it, it, you're on the cycle, but you're not, you're not bringing any memories along. And the Western permutation of it or, or bastardization of it is that, oh yeah, you suddenly, you're Ramtha or whatever you. Yeah. That's, you know, Buddhism is about letting go of attachments, but in the West we're like, no, got to have my attachment. I got to remember when I was, yeah. and everybody's somebody famous, you know, right. you're always Cleopatra or Alexander the Great. You're never just some peasant's daughter who died of cholera at age five. Well, or, or Cleopatra's like handmaiden. Yeah. Right. No, nobody's so, so bold. Famous adjacent. <laughs> you, you, you feel like nobody actually claims to be a celebrity. It's more like. It can't be Cleopatra, but they could definitely be like the minister of transportation for Cleopatra's public admin sector. <laughs> My theory is that, uh, you know, the, the lull between lives should be short, right. which means if we're reincarnated as somebody famous, or if, if we were somebody famous in a past life, it would be whoever died immediately before our birthday. So I actually looked up to see who died right before oh, I was born in 1974. Right. And it's kind of a celebrity wasteland. You have to go back a full month before you come across either Bud Abbott of Abbott and Costello. I could be Bud Abbott reincarnated. That's not unlikely. Or Agnes Moorhead uh, from Orson Welles's theater company and also Andorra on Bewitched. So I could be a, a groundbreaking lesbian uh, dowager actress. Or the, a couple of days before I was born, the Symbionese Liberation Army killed a bunch of LAPD cops in some awful shootout. So I could be, I could have been a cop murdered by uh, the Symbionese Liberation Army. Well, you know, I was born in... Um, What's your birth date? I was born in 1968, which was a very auspicious year for famous people dying. <laughs> oh man, it was, that was great. <laughs> if you can, uh, if Rem you can remember, recall. Remember the good days. But let's see. I mean, let's assume that I'm not Martin Luther King think, or Robert Kennedy. I think Kennedy. anyone who has met you will assume you're not. I don't know about Robert Kennedy though. I could be Robert Didn't Kennedy. Didn't your dad like campaign for Bobby? Uh, dad and Bobby did not get along. Uh, uh, but he did, dad, dad liked John. Dad worked for JFK and he thought that Bobby was was a real jerk. What but, month were you born? So I was born in September. And unfortunately here in my list of famous deaths, there's a huge empty spot right there in, in I'm August the, and September. I'm the same way. We're, we're, so what's your, what's your birthday? I should know this. It, was, well, it just happened. Yeah, it just happened. It's late September then. Mid-September. You don't want people to know your birthday because. Well, because then they give me all the like, happy birthday. So, I mean, uh, Robert F. Kennedy died in June of 68. So let's assume that I'm. RFK. It's got, no, it's got to be more recent than that. You know who died just a few weeks before? I mean, Wes Montgomery, in, but that's still in June. Ulysses S. Grant III died August 29th. I don't think I'm Ulysses S. Grant III reincarnated. You don't think you were the grandson of Ulysses S. Grant? He's some kind of Army Corps of Engineers guy? I would like? be the ghost of the grandson of Ulysses S. Grant. I, I, I feel like RFK could have spent a little bit of time there 
purgatorially wandering around. I figured it out. July 28th, Otto Hahn, German discoverer of, uh, won the Nobel Prize for discovering nuclear fission. It explains your obsession with uh, the bomb, the atomic age. And Germany. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Was he a Nazi or not a Nazi? This is going to explain a lot either Uh, way. Let's find out. Opponent, he left. He was, I think he was a Jewish scientist who left, came to the, uh, came to America. He won the Nobel Prize. Yeah. Okay. I'll be, I'll be Otto Hahn. Sure. Good job. That's better than, it's way better than Bud Abbott. Thanks. I feel pretty good about that. Um, but the, you know, the other hole that often gets poked in reincarnation is the fact that, uh, you know, there are now 7 billion people and where do they come from? If at one point the world's population was a few million. Right. Every time someone dies, they split into three new (laughs) spirits that go to inhabit little babies. It's like the Egyptian spirit. Like you get the ka, you get the ba, and you get the ak or whatever. (laughs) I wonder, I wonder what part of Otto Han I am and how many other uh, like half Hans there are. Yeah, if you meet somebody and you some you realize you have a strange rapport with them, that could be the other half of Otto Han. Yeah, wait a minute. When were you born? We have Otto Han in common. I guess it could explain why today your average person, it seems to be kind of a, just a very watered down version of somebody 300 years ago. Like if you compare a Barbary pirate or a Sioux warrior to some kid today playing board games or, 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 or kickball, with his weird beard and walking his emotional support turkey. Well, I was thinking about this yesterday because I was looking a little bit into the life of Frank Sinatra for uh, another one of my media properties. <laughs> your, your media empire. You know, he turned 50 in 1965. He released four albums that year, two films, and uh, he won a Grammy Award the following year and married like 21-year-old Mia Farrow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And ring a ding ding, you know, was just like absolutely every day of the week. I'm sure he was just, he was, people were throwing scripts at him. He was walking from helicopters to yachts. Like that was what it was like for him to be 50. And, uh, for me to be 50, you know, like last night I sat and had a piece of paper and I, I tested every pen in the house to make sure that they all worked. (laughs) And any pen that didn't scribble a line in the first three tries, I threw in the garbage just, you know, trying to get some of the old pens out of here. And how many times did you seduce 21-year-old Mia Farrow last night? Uh, it was zero times. Zero in reality. Zero times. And also, even in my imagination, I wasn't seducing Mia Farrow. You don't, yeah, you don't, have that kind of, <laughs> so, you don't have that kind of stamina in your imagination I anymore. D- I don't. I'm so tired. <laughs> so yeah, times have really changed. Well, he, Frank, might have had some advantages you did not, like Benzedrine, maybe. Benzedrine. Well, in a, you know, in a, a mob uncle. <laughs> right. Unlimited mob connections. Uh, but yeah, like that's why, maybe that's why people just seem so dilute now. I really am like just one fortieth of a Barbary pirate with, with one fortieth of his get up and go. Right. No wonder I'm not like waylaying any ships. His and, get, get up and go booty. must have got up and went. <laughs> yeah. You know, all this aside, the idea of reincarnation is very tempting to people. It connects us with our past. It maybe explains phenomena like deja vu, uh, where we feel like there's some vast memory behind us just out of reach. Um, and it makes us seem more important, you know, I wonder we're part of history. There's gotta be a component to people who want to have, who want to be recalling a past life, like the tantalizing hope that maybe they'll remember where they stashed a bag of gold. (laughs) Like (laughs) I used to be, and if I could just remember, I'm sure I, Put some gold in the like, in a wall here somewhere. You're like the kind of time traveler that would go back and be like, "I'm not killing Hitler. I'm buying IBM shares." <laughs> <laughs> you, just, 
Yeah, you just want to be nowhere. Uh, you just want to know where the the Confederate gold is hidden. Yeah, Hitler Schmittler. I want to know where a near mint Action Comics number one is. What attic do I have to look in? I do sometimes think that right now, somewhere on the planet, there is the world's largest undiscovered treasure, which will be discovered someday. It's just that we don't know where it is. We're walking over it all the time. What if it's tiny? What if there is no one? What if we got it all? All these National Geographic guys got it all. I don't think so. It's just old men with metal detectors now finding, you know, old wheat pennies. I think right now somewhere in a field outside of Koblenz, there's a hole, there's like a pit with a billion dollars of Visigothic gold and people are just riding their bikes over it on on their way to work. Well, the Brady Murphy case is interesting because this is a past life claimer, claimy, claimer. Claimant. Claimant. There we go. Uh, claimant claims uh, who was not in it for the money. Her believed past life was not a wealthy or important person or a celebrity of any kind. So not in it for the fame either. But ironically, she did become very famous. Uh, It started in Pueblo, Colorado in 1952 with a tractor dealer named Maury Bernstein who became very interested via a friend in hypnosis. A tractor dealer in Pueblo, Colorado named Maury Bernstein. You don't think... Uh, I mean, there's just three... There's just, <laughs> there's just three um, things I have to overcome to get on with this story. But okay, all right, let's assume. Do you have to pretend that there were Jewish people in Pueblo, Colorado in <laughs> 1952? I mean, no, but I mean, like Jewish ta- tractor dealers in Pueblo, Colorado. It's just, it's you're setting the scene and it's a very... When, a, when you get up to the top of the tractor dealership industry all over the world, it's all controlled by the same powerful cabal that's right. of, of Bernstein. The international tractor conspiracy. And he was into hypnosis, possibly to, to trick people into buying more tractors? Hard to say. Oh, he was into hypnosis. Yeah, he saw a friend perform hypnosis at a party kind of as a parlor trick and started buying cheap paperbacks about it. You know, maybe just for self-help reasons. That was, kind of, that was one of the appeals of, of hypnosis early. I'm not going to say he necessarily wanted to seduce every young woman in Pueblo, Colorado, but it's not impossible. Or maybe, again, he just wanted people to buy bigger and nicer tractors. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I feel like we, we forget that the mid-50s seemed maybe like rural communities felt less isolated than, than they do now because it felt like a world of possibility was opening up, jet travel and the interstate highway. And so you could live in Pueblo and be a person that was into sophisticated parlor games like hypnosis and Ouija boards. If your, if your, um, pastor would let you get away with it or your, you know, your cool Jewish friend is into it, I guess. But now if you were living in Pueblo, I think you'd feel much more. I just go to Pueblo for the government pamphlets. That's, that's the only reason I would ever go there. Like, I want to know how to fireproof my basement, yep. and I want to learn about the history of the national parks, and maybe want to collect some coins. It's all there in Pueblo Canyon City. Pueblo will tell you all about it. I should know the zip code, too. I, I, I think I used to know that zip code better than the Zoom one. Do you remember those TV ads where it would be right to Pueblo, Colorado? Sure. Uh, blah, 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 blah. So I just looked up the government publications office and under contact us, it just says email us. Oh, that's <laughs> devastating. Isn't that awful? Well, what I've... It was uh, like 91005 or something like that. That sounds right. What I've learned is Eight, that... 81005. 81005. Does that sound right? Well, it sounds closer. We're definitely getting there. Let's just start sending stuff. And when we start to get pamphlets about <laughs> sleep apnea, we'll know we, we'll know we had the right zip code. It turns out that Pueblo had a, a steel mill there and was, and because the steel mill attracted people from 
all nationalities coming to work in the mill that Pueblo was known as the melting pot of the West. So it was kind of a, um, it's not Eisenhower suburbia, but it is kind of a bustling little uh, city. Yeah, that's right. It had 40 different languages spoken in Pueblo at a certain point um, because there were so many, um, so many people there in this bustling city of industry. So Maury, the tractor king, has been experimenting with hypnosis and at a party in November 1952, he's telling friends about it and they all want to try it out. Hypnosis. Hypnosis, yes. He, they want a demonstration. So he has a friend of his uh, who's at the party, a... Uh, uh, Renowned hypnotist. <laughs> Bernstinio, <laughs> the Magnificent. He has his uh, friend, uh, Virginia Ty, a, a pretty young housewife, Ginny Ty, uh, married to a local car dealer, mm -hmm. um, has her lie down on the couch. Oh, uh, boy. This is, how, this is why he got into hypnosis. Yeah, I guess so. No, and he tries uh, a, trick, uh, a, a thing he saw done once, an aged regression. You know, hmm. uh, hypnosis is often used, I think to this day in psychotherapy to do this, you know, to get people to... You know, if, if the traumas that shaped you were in your childhood, let's go go all the way back. Examine them. Let's even go past them and unearth them and figure them out. And all the way back to when you lost your binky. We're gonna recreate the birth trauma. You're gonna have to like climb out of this uh, from under this IKEA coffee table or something. Yep. Cry out your past hurts. Right. I do it every day. So he brings uh, Virginia back to her childhood. So he puts her under by uh, with a candle. He puts her in a trance by kind of waving a candle in front of her face. Mm -hmm. That works. That's a huge hit at, totally a, at this 50s jello party. And uh, once she's there, he has her go back into her childhood. And he go takes her back all the way to... Oh my gosh, the ghost is back. This is starting to creep me out a little. He takes her back to her childhood, to even uh, to her being a baby, to birth. And then it seems to me he just kind of swings for the fences and asks her... Hey, uh, why don't you keep going? Can you imagine some other scene, some other place, some other time? And a few minutes go by and suddenly Virginia complies and she says, well, now I'm a child again, but I'm scratching the paint off a metal bed. She starts speaking with an Irish brogue and ex uh, describing scenes that are unfamiliar to anything else she's described in her childhood. And when Bernstein asks her her name, she says, my name is Bridie Murphy. Bridie Murphy. Bridie Murphy. And everyone is fascinated by yeah. this idea that maybe she's remembering a past life, something she had before she was born. Seems like it. I don't need to be convinced anymore. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Great show. And that concludes... <laughs> We can't do the false ending thing anymore. We've done it so much. <laughs> we haven't done it that much. We have more fake endings than like Matthew Sweet or the Beach Boys. So Maury Bernstein and she are both fascinated by this. Right. And so they continue to come back and, and she keeps coming back for more. Yeah. She can't get enough. Oh, can't this, get enough Maury. <laughs> Maury Bernstein uh, made the right choice when he picked up his uh, hypnotist his, book. His, and his pretty young housewife. Uh, they end up, he starts, he begins tape recording the sessions because he's so fascinated. And right. as he asks her about Bridie Murphy's life, he finds that she is an inexhaustible trove of information. Like she doesn't get stumped or become vague. Any question he asks, she will supply an answer full of detail about the life of Bridie Murphy. They Together, uh, Bernstein and Ty discover that Bridie Murphy was born in 1798 near Cork, Ireland, kind of a, a middle-class, redheaded, Protestant Irish girl. Uh, she lived in a wooden house called The Meadows outside of Cork. She describes in detail her parents, her family. She's got two, Bridie had two brothers. She went to Mrs. Strain's day school. Eventually, she, as a young woman, she marries a Catholic boy named uh, Sean McCarthy. 
He's a barrister who later, uh, they moved to Belfast together and he teaches at Queen's University. And this is all incredibly vivid and exciting for them, as you can imagine. You know, he, she will describe Irish customs of the 19th century. She'll tell stories and folk tales. She will sing. At one point, he asks her to demonstrate an Irish jig. I, I guess his knowledge of Ireland is not that, not that deep. But she complies. She shows him some, some dance steps that Bridie knew. Under hypnosis. All under the same kind of hypnotic trance. And Bridie's story apparently ends. He gets to the end of her life. She, uh, towards the end of her life in the 1850s, I think she's crippled in a fall down some stairs. And uh, a few years later, when her husband is at church, did you just ring the bell? No. <laughs> was, that, was that funny to no, you? No, no. Poor, uh, you know, middle-class <laughs> Irish women falling downstairs? That's a joke to you? No, no. <laughs> uh, she, and she dies while her husband is at church, complications from her injuries <clears throat> in 1864. So at age 66. And at that point, she, remember, she keeps remembering. She describes being in kind of a, a painless, uh, event-free limbo where it's kind of lonely because people will drift up and then chat, but then they'll go away and she never sees them again. Uh, and apparently she must have been in that limbo for about 60 years because Ginny Ty was not born until 1923. Oh, well, this gives a lot more credence to the idea that I'm RFK. Yeah, if she can last 60 years. Right. You can, you know, RFK can wait a few months to come back in a strapping young Alaskan body. Absolutely. I could be Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, who died? Who died sixty years before our birth in the teens? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mark Twain. You're probably Mark Twain. Maybe I'm Mark Twain. He died about sixty years before your birth. Uh, let's see, deaths of nineteen oh eight. You know what's exciting is hearing people slowly <laughs> say the thing they're typing. <laughs> people in the future How have conquered time. Do I get to. <laughs> How do I search people who died in the 1910s? Well, it's interesting because this story is all happening clearly uh, in an era before it was super simple to research this type of story. I mean, now if somebody said this. Yeah, at the party, people would be on Google, right? Well, and especially since she's claiming to be reincarnated from someone who lived well, not that long ago. I mean, within living memory, right? There would be people presumably still alive who could attest to Bridie Murphy. Or her family. Or her least. family. I mean, if she or, died in 1860, there's almost a hundred year gap. There but would be, there would be, be memory be, of her. And plenty of census records. And, and she's naming specific places and establishments. She's certainly not worried about verification. She's naming schools, universities, the, the church, the little parish they attended in, in uh, Belfast. And of but course, it, when they were just doing this at a party, there's no expectation that anyone would r- try to validate or verify it. Right. Seems pretty cool. And then everybody goes home and goes, wow. But, but I'm guessing but this that, went yeah, a little further. That did become, come later. So uh, a reporter for the Denver Post somehow gets wind of this and writes a series about Virginia Ty's mysterious party trick. And Bernstein, so this catches the public attention and Bernstein realizes there's a book in it. Mm-hmm. And he, so he heads to Ireland to research it. So do reporters for different newspapers, a Chicago newspaper, Life Magazine sends somebody. So people start looking into the phenomenon of Brady Murphy and, you know, hoping, I'm sure in many cases, hoping to debunk it because boy, what a scoop. Or if you could prove it, 
Either way, you know, what if past lives exist? And even the people trying to offer reasonable explanations are saying things like, well, even if reincarnation doesn't exist, maybe she has some kind of ancestral memory of Ireland communicated through her chromosome somehow. Like this is how scientists are explaining what might have happened. Like as if, as if you would have a memory of your, some kind of great grand, great, great grandmother's private school or, or church parish in your brain. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly still a school of thought that's trying to trace. Tap uh, your inner ancestor. Yeah. Like cultural trauma that has been communicated down through, through multiple generations, but still exists in a kind of a real form in people. Uh, but, in this case, uh, when Bernstein was asked about that, he said, no, it can't be that. And he had a very good reason because Bridie, according to Virginia Ty's recollections, never had children. Oh. So there would be no way for her to genetically pass oh, along this kind of racial memory, however it worked. Um, this is strange though, because a hundred sixty years before all of this, wait, this is happening in the fifties, the fifties. So, 50s. so not even that 50 years before Harry Houdini really made a name for himself, debunking precisely this kind of seances and spiritualism medium, which a lot of the biggest names of the day believed in, but this is now into hypnosis. So it's a, so it takes on a scientific It has the tint. veneer of psychotherapy, which back then was the new scientific, unimpeachable hotness. Right. Uh, Bernstein writes a book about his experiences with, uh, I think, The Search for Bridie Murphy, which the publisher is hoping to sell 10,000 copies of. It sells a quarter of a million copies Whoa. and becomes a phenomenon. They decide to start offering the tapes of their sessions for people to buy, I assume on a, on a gramophone, on a, on a record, you know, you can uh -huh. buy an LP of, uh, of Virginia Ty speaking in Irish brogue and, uh, they sell 30,000 copies of that. But it seems like at this point, somebody could have gone back to Cork and like walked around and said, so where's the school? I'll see you in Cork, Bridie. Uh, yeah. So that's exactly. Hang on. <laughs> All right. There's the bell. Did you ring that or was there some kind of spiritual presence in the room who, who rang the bell? Some spiritual presence that loves puns. We need Houdini in here to like make sure that bell stays untouched by the hand of John. Uh, yeah, so people are investigating it. But meanwhile, the fad is out of control. Four novelty songs get written about Bridie Murphy. Imagine you're just some Colorado housewife and suddenly there are four songs about you, including the big fad of the mid-50s, rock and roll. There's a rock and roll song about... Bridie Murphy? Yeah, and back then, it's, it's something we forget about rock and roll is that people expected it to last like nine months, you know? Right. So all the songs are like, hey, it's rock and roll, everyone. <laughs> so the, the lyrics of this song begin, Bridie Murphy did the rock and roll 100 years ago. Hey, Bridie Murphy. That's it? I, I guess maybe it's to the tune of Macarena. Uh -huh. Hey, hey Bridie Murphy. Murphy. Um, Bridie Murphy jokes become common. Like uh, dads, w women giving birth will often say welcome back to their children. Or maybe that's what the funny dad says. Oh. Uh, that is funny. You have, uh, there are welcome, there are Bridie Murphy parties, which are come as you were. Um, everybody gets to dress up as a, as a Egyptian Pharaoh or a, what a British red coat or whoever they think their ancestors were. I, there, when my daughter was young, um, some of the reincarnationists in my family definitely spent time with her looking into her eyes and saying like, who were you? Like, 
every time she did something that seemed a little more sophisticated than a six month old should be, you know. Oh, so this is just a baby who grasp a pencil or whatever. And they'd be like, she was a great writer. I mean, it's not, (laughs) it it still exists to this day. Well, that's how they picked the Dalai Lama, right? Yeah, that's right. You put somebody on the floor and there's like a candy and a toy and a can of clams, a cigarette and a a piece of paper that says, I'm the next Dalai Lama, (laughs) I think. And the kid that reaches for that paper is the right. next uh, Well, he has to do it a couple of times, right? So, so we need to do that with me, I guess. With you? Well, yeah. I think it's like, too late for you to be the Dalai Lama. Well, you need to have like a, some piece of Bud Abbott memorabilia. And oh, a I piece see of Agnes Moorhead, uh, you know, a Bewitched DVD. Right. And... Um, Tallulah Bankhead, real to real. Like, who am I really? So, yeah, among the other fads, this is great. A Houston bar actually dreamed up the reincarnation cocktail. So you could go order a, a gin cocktail called the... Re- I'll have a reincarnation, please. I don't know why it's not called the Bridie Murphy. Copyright issues, maybe? Mm, probably not. Probably they're just trying to be more sophisticated. They sold the movie rights. Teresa Wright was going to play her in the movie. Uh, and by the way, but when I say her, I do not mean Ginny Ty. The uh, Bernstein's book used a pseudonym for her. She was called Ruth Simmons. Oh. Because, so, you know, she- In order she, to protect her against looky-loos? I guess she wanted to kind of stay out of the public eye. She resisted many efforts to cap, even though this was- a huge 50s fat on a par with the hula hoop or whatever. She made no money from it. Yeah, she resisted any effort to be Ruth Simmons. She was very happy to be uh, anonymous, which is in her favor. The saddest uh, at the end point of the fad uh, it was a newspaper report about a, a young boy, a newsboy in Oklahoma who killed himself and left a note saying, uh, I'll be back. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> you only think, you only think, uh, grisly death is uh, funny. People, people wonder why I haven't given you a bell yet. And looking over here, you, you definitely do see two bells right next to one another. What people, right? what people don't, <laughs> one of these, one what of these people don't yours. know at home is that I do have a bell. I, I have just never thought John was funny yet. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen and I'm going to ring it. One day. Uh, no, he left a note saying, um, I'm going to get to the bottom of this basically. Like, Whoa. I'm sure, I'm sure it did not drive. I'm sure he, he was not a, ha- a happy, well-adjusted person, but. But he said, once I'm on the other side. Yeah. Like he's going to get to the bottom of the whole Bridie Murphy reincarnation thing. Uh, it, it was, it was in the forefront of people's minds, this idea that they might have lived before and they might live again. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. And in Bernstein's book, there is actually some supporting evidence when we get to trying to verify the story of Bridie Murphy. Um, she used period Irish words correctly, he said. She would say tup to mean rough guy. She would call a cup a brate or a handkerchief a linen. These all check out. 
And some of the names and places do as well. Um, she names greengrocers named John Kerrigan and William Farr. And when Bernstein goes to Ireland, he finds out that those people did indeed have groceries uh, markets at the time. She read a book called, she write, talks about uh, reading a book called The Green Bay as Bridie, which was a popular book in Ireland that was never published in America. She mentions a place called Morn that he could never find on an American map and thought it was a problem in the story. There were many cases like this where people would try to poke holes in the story and be like, uh, she never would have married a Catholic boy. Um, you know, that university did, wouldn't have had him on faculty. And then when he got to Ireland, people would be like, no, 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 actually, that's all fine. You know, uh, there he would find that people were more supportive of the story. Huh. But then it all kind of crashes down. Oh, dear. I mean, there are some kind of things in her story that even at first glance should have seemed hopelessly naive. Bridie's father and brother were apparently named Duncan. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a Scottish name, unfortunately. Ruh row. And so Bernstein had to say, well, maybe she meant Dunnock. That's the Irish equivalent. You know, you have to kind of do this kind of a, a, apology, hand-waving kind of stuff. No Irish Duncan. And even worse, her I think her, is her husband's name Sean? Her husband's name Sean. She pronounces it Sian. Oh. Like boy. someone who has seen the word written, but maybe has not been an Irishman for, you know, an Irish woman for 66 years. Right, Sian. If you, if you grow up and live in Ireland for 66 years, at some point somebody tells you, you know actually what? Sean. We're, we're, we're going to say it's Sean. We actually say Sean here. And you're like, oh boy, am I embarrassed? It's like, it's like I only learned it from reading. <laughs> it's like when you're a kid and you think that, uh, do you ever have a, a word you thought was two different words? Cause you'd see it written out like subtle and subtle, you know, oh, or are you kidding me? That's like one third of the words I know. Half the English language. I pronounce them one way when I, when I'm trying to pronounce the one I read and then I also speak English. So I know the other word. You thought Soviet and, and Soviet were two different words. They are. Right. I've never seen it written with the L. I remember my dad said something to me that I wanted to express some contempt for. And I said, oh, pshaw. <laughs> and of course he heard it. He heard me say something different. And he was like, what did you just say? And grabbed me by the he shirt. He thought you were swearing? He said, he thought I said piss off. Oh, piss off. Oh. And I was like, pshaw, pshaw. And he's like, what? You know, <laughs> shaking me by the shirt. That's and I was like, not a thing. No, it's, you know, Don Knotts and, or it's a, uh, you know, it's something I read in Mad Magazine. <laughs> P-S-H-A-W. And my dad was like, oh, I see. You mean, psh. I feel like we're so far from people actually saying, psh, that more people are probably saying it either so ironically <laughs> or naively as pshaw now. Like you were just ahead of your time. When Life Magazine sends a guy to Ireland, it gets worse. Um, there's, you know, specifically what you would want is a record, a church record saying Bridget Murphy, born this date, died this date, and nobody can find it. There's no genealogical evidence. And it's not just that. Uh, there is no home called The Meadows outside of Cork. And it's not just that, but the home she describes, a wooden cottage, is essentially impossible. All the homes they in that area stones. would have been stone, of yeah. course, because... Wood does not stand up to the depressing Irish weather. There, are, There's less wood in Ireland than there are Duncans. <laughs> and there's not that many Duncans and zero wooden Duncans. Uh, there are, her church doesn't appear to exist. There's no St. Teresa's where she said there was. Her honeymoon itinerary seems to make no geographic sense. And in fact, seems kind of confused with the account she gave him of a trip to Antrim when she was 10. Um, there's no Dooley road in Belfast. So, you know, all these things keep falling apart. And then the Life Magazine reporter finds what appears to be the smoking gun, which is things in Ginny Ty's actual childhood, 
which appear to very closely mirror Bridie Murphy's life. Ding, ding, ding. What? When she was growing up in Chicago, uh, the reporters found there was a woman across the street named Bridget Murphy Corkle. Oh, dear. So not Bridget Murphy from Cork, but Bridget Murphy Corkle. They were able to find that her family had lots of Irish, Scotch-Irish relatives who would come tell her stories about Gaelic lore. How old was she at this time? Well, uh, Bernstein went to his grave believing the whole thing and said, no, uh, you know, he, he wrote a second version of the search for Bridie Murphy where he tried to debunk some of the holes that have been poked and said, you know, people are saying that her whole life she had these Irish relatives show up and filling her head. In fact, that's not true. Ginny tells me she didn't even meet these people until she was 18. But apparently it's beyond dispute that at some point growing up, she heard Irish stories from relatives. Um, her foster parents said she always wished she, she was a brown haired girl who wished she had red hair. So there's some element of reincarnation wish fulfillment. Maybe it's not, I'm Cleopatra's handmaiden, but at least I have the pretty red hair I always wanted. Right. And her high school drama teacher says that uh, she did Irish brogue as a bit. I guess her parents say she would often do Irish brogue just as a bit around the house. And her high school drama teacher says that at one point for a project, she did a series of Irish monologues in full accent, including one about a character with the initials BM. It's like Bridget Mayon or something. Uh, and it was called Mrs. Dooley on Archer Road. Again, reminiscent of Dooley Road, the place she said where Bridie lived in Belfast. So was this debunking then accusing her of falsifying it? Or was it, uh, is all of this to suggest that she just subconsciously had all this input and it came out in the form of, uh, like it was, it was delusional, but she really believed her own story. Yeah, I think, I think she's probably what we would call a, a sincere fraud. Um, there's really not a lot. It's hard to make the case that there's any kind of hoax going on. Um, both she and Bernstein were respectable pillars of the community. Um, they did all their sessions in front of interested witnesses. So they were certainly not collaborating on a story uh, with details. Virginia did not profit from this. Right. And that's the main thing. She, to, for the rest of her life, she seemed extremely guileless about the whole thing. She was as mystified and interested in Bridie as anyone, but turned down multiple chances to get rich on it. So there is this phenomenon called cryptomnesia. Yes. Which is, it applies to a couple, in a couple of different ways. It's most often used to describe like a writer who writes a story and it turns out that it was plagiarized from a book that they read when they were eight years old and, and forgot having totally read unconscious. And they're just like, oh, I had this great story. It, it describes a process where... It's happened uh, to me on Twitter where a great joke idea will pop into my head and it's only... And often, you know, somebody will point me to a previous joke and I'll, and I'll be like, well, there's only so many jokes. This is clearly parallel evolution. But there are other times where I'll be like, oh, you know what? I did see that and I'd forgotten. I had it just recently. I, for the last probably decade, I have referred to this film review I wrote for The Stranger that I thought was, because I, I used to write reviews of films mm -hmm. for The Stranger 25 years ago. And I, I remember one in particular that I did just an amazing job on, I was super proud of, and I would refer to it all the time, like, oh, I once wrote this film review about this movie. And I went looking for it just a couple of days ago and discovered that actually that film review was written by Sean Nelson. 
like my bandmate and partner in crime. Are you saying that in a past life you were Harvey Danger frontman Sean Nelson? That's right. It's weird because he's still alive even to this day. (laughs) You need to know where he put the flagpole set of royalties. Where are they buried, John? I think what happened is we're both like fractional Robert Kennedys. Right. Is Sean born in 68 as well? No, he's not. He's Mm. closer to you, but... But, uh, so he was in limbo for longer. Part of part of Bobby's soul was was waiting to get out. Maybe that film review was written by someone in in ye old Ireland, and it was transmitted to us through the soul of Robert Kennedy. Well, I've you know I've read research that it's shockingly easy to implant memories in people, and uh, you know specifically the kind of dynamic you see with a, a very su- suggestible person in a hypnotic trance, where someone keeps interrogating them with follow up questions, and they have to supply. They feel they have to supply an answer. You know, that's when they're just going to dredge up some half-remembered or subconsciously remembered thing. Right. And that's how you, you know, one legacy of this is, uh, you know, all the the kind of inadvertent hypnosis that might be behind all those ritual satanic abuse cases of the 80s where daycare parents, and sometimes in some cases, even the perpetrators became convinced that elaborate molestation scenarios had gone on in daycares and in ways that could not possibly have actually happened. But. That would be a good entry in the omnibus because that certainly was the recovered memory fad of the late eighties, early nineties. We should save it for another entry, but you can see it in more benign ways as well. Like they'll do studies where they'll, they'll ask people if they remember going to Disneyland as a kid. And if people who say, yes, I think you can get something like 40% of them to remember the picture they took with Bugs Bunny. Uh-huh. And at that point you tell them, well, hey, dummy, Bugs Bunny is a Looney Tunes character and, and they'll, they'll fight you on it. They'll be like, no, no, I totally remember uh, Bugs Bunny. You can get people to remember being lost in a shopping mall, whether it actually happened or not. And I think there's a lot of evidence that, um, that most people cannot even really form memories until, you know, shockingly late in childhood, that everything we think we remember before we were six or seven or eight or whatever is something that's from been, photographs and stories. Yes. Yeah, a photo we saw, uh, you know, a family story. Right. I can debunk that in my case because I remember a few things that I never told anyone else with, with great vividness. Like my getting lost on a mall story, I remember the conversation I had with the, like the nice teens who found me and took me to the, to the clerk, um, something my parents never would have known. And I remember like a, a Sesame Street skit that scared, really scared me to death when I was very young about a, a set of Chinese dragons that I never told anyone because I was embarrassed. But I found, told- I found the sketch on YouTube uh, a couple weeks ago. It still exists. You've told us all now. Yeah, now now the whole future knows that I'm scared of the Muppet who finds the Chinese dragon. Well, I remember dating a teenage Annette Funicello, and there's nothing you can say to dislodge that memory. But not me a pharaoh? You're a, <laughs> no. you're a Funicello ne- type. I, I was never a, never a pharaoh, always a Funicello. There are two types of men, and I think I too am a, a Funicello. Um, Bridie Murphy, for her part, well, I guess Virginia Ty, later Virginia Morrow, for her part, uh, regretted the whole thing. It had brought a lot of complication and unhappiness. To her life. I guess I guess one takeaway, maybe this is a little reductive, but it's easy to imagine her as like a 50s, a bored 50s housewife. Who's just looking for a little action. Yeah, like who feels like she has a richer inner life than her dopey car dealer husband or her superficial neighbors are giving her credit for. She was in drama in high school. She did right. fun plays and dreamed of a bigger life. She has a good Irish accent, Here she, she can do I an, don't She have. can nail an Irish accent. Here yeah. she is in Pueblo. And it's not that she's putting on a hoax. It's just that... This is something she maybe yearns for and is not even aware of a, a more romantic, interesting inner life than, than she gets on the outside. And definitely probably as it spiraled out of control, much harder to put the brakes on it. I mean, if you were 
if you were the most famous housewife in Pueblo for a couple of weeks, that could have been pretty exciting. But once you're in the Denver Post, as soon as the as soon as Life magazine is knocking on people's doors in Ireland, well, plus she she probably has very little control. I mean, she comes out of a trance and has no idea what she said. I mean, this is all going to be news to her as well, right? And uh, in her New York Times obituary, she t- she tells an interviewer later in life, "If I had known what was going to happen, I would never have laid down on the couch." And that concludes Bridie Murphy, entry 818.jb1414, certificate number 29314 in the omnibus. Futurelings, we have no idea whether you laughed your way through this entire show because you yourselves are communicating with the reincarnated spirits of Ken Jennings and myself, John Roderick. They could be the reincarnated spirits of us. You could all be fractional, deluded versions of me and Ken. They each have one of our memories. One of one futureling <laughs> remembers the scary Chinese dragon. Each one of our memories becomes its own sentient being. There's a futureling out there named Pasha, <laughs> who only remembers <laughs> your dad thinking you told him to piss off. There's a futureling who. Its entire soul and uh, and whole experience is that it once buried its ninth grade geometry homework in the backyard inside of a seal meal bag. Wait, so there is somebody who knows where treasure is buried? Well, I think I think that is it not still there. I think the people that own that house actually dug it up in the garden <laughs> and brought it inside and told one of their neighbors, who told one of my friends that still lives in Anchorage, that they found my homework buried in the yard. Did you get in trouble after all these years? Uh, no, thank goodness the statute of limitations had expired. Uh, but in the unlikely event that you are your own sentient beings with independent lives and souls, you may be on social media, which would indicate to us that you are not an evolved life form. They're definitely my descendants. Are they? If they're on, they're on the treadmill, the uh, the ha- the habit, the habit uh, rail, the the, <laughs> the habit trail of uh, of Facebook. Even now, even a thousand years from now, institutional memory. They're in there just tweeting up a storm. They and have, people are like, that joke was already told 7,500 times. Also, Twitter doesn't exist. You're tapping on a piece on a, <laughs> on a cinder block in the rubble of civilization. <laughs> um, if you want inspiration, you can go to our former social media places, read Ken's super punny tweets where he takes on all the big powers. Uh, he's out there. He's out there on the front lines. Against the Illuminati. With his flaming sword there on the overturned horse carts at the barricades. Telling puns to the Trilateral Commission. That's right. His shirt ripped so that one nipple is exposed. (laughs) Uh, You can find him there at Ken Jennings on Twitter. Um, I'm at John Roderick. Uh, We also have at Omnibus Project and all the social media outlets. You can look at my Instagram account and you can follow it and send me DMs because my DMs are open. If you want to, if you want to send me any. You want to slide from the future into John's DMs? Slide into my DMs. Time slide into the old DMs. Um, You can send us email to omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Even though Facebook is increasingly known to be like maybe one of the one of the five pillars of crimes against humanity. One of the most evil institutions ever created. It is a dark cesspool, but still over there, there are omnibus futurelings 
who are somehow managing to eke out a life from the decayed plant matter that floats to the bottom. They're making the best of it. They are. Those plucky, those plucky young proto-futurelings. You know, even champagne is full of bacteria. I'm trying to make the opposite point, though. Even even sewer water is full of champagne. Has caviar floating in it. Yeah. If you didn't chew your caviar. I mean, think about all the champagne that gets poured down into the sewers. Does it? Well, sure. At the end of the night, you've got like a third of a bottle of champagne. You're drunk. Every time I see champagne, like in a locker room or a rap video, like it's going everywhere. Like mo- it looks like most of it's going into the drain. Like we're wasting a ton of champagne. Is that in where you primarily see champagne is locker rooms and rap videos? That's, I would say, where I see 100% of my champagne. Oh, where are you seeing champagne? Like a uh, christening of ships? No, I mean, typically when I come into my comped hotel room. <laughs> I see. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, there's like a, a Bond villain who ha- happens also to be a beautiful woman who's wearing like a leather trench coat. And she lets it slip to the floor. And underneath it, all, all she's wearing is a it's, bottle of all champagne. All she's wearing is a Mouseketeer sweater that says Annette <laughs> and nothing else. Nothing else. <laughs> and there's champagne, you know, chilling there in the bucket. I see a lot of that champagne. This is the difference between your life and my life, man. Like, I, I, I'm stuck watching... <laughs> Watching rap videos. I'm stuck watching Nelly open bottles of champagne. Drinking grape knee-high and thinking it's too fizzy. <laughs> so go to the Future Links on Facebook. Also, please, please send us real-life packages. Again, my suit size is 44 long, but my shirt is an 18-inch neck. Fun fact. A lot of people don't know that. You can send mail, and then Ken also, Ken, is, Ken weighs, what, 145 pounds dripping wet? What are... What? <laughs> <laughs> what are you? 38 regular. You're one. You're 38 regular, and, and what are you, 160? No. I wish I was 160. I, th- I was probably 160 when we started the show. Uh-huh. But <laughs> then all of the... By the time the future leagues hear this, I'm a 400-year-old man. Like <laughs> All the peanut brittle I, I put over on that side of the desk. <laughs> all those wax pumpkins. Uh, send us uh, mail to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. There's also an email address. Uh, I, I said email us Did at you? omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com and Ken will probably answer it. Eh, you might answer. Uh, I, sometimes I answer. Sometimes I answer as you. Oh, I should go look at it more carefully. I'll just be like, I don't care about this. Send me a suit, bitch. John I have, Roderick. I have been moderating our Facebook page a little bit, the Future Links page. It seems like a lot of people apply to be members but don't answer the two questions that are like the quiz questions to make sure you're not a bot. Have you noticed this? Yeah, I, I don't know if I should approve them or not. Well, I don't either. Because it's like, you look at their profile, and they're clearly an omnibus listener. Just answer but, the question. But there are two questions that you need to answer, and they haven't answered the question. So I, I don't know. I leave them in the queue, but then it seems like maybe you approve them, or somebody else approves them. I've never approved them. Well, maybe someone. Some, somebody. Some unseen hand. Somebody at How Stuff Works is approving people without our approval. Well, if they start posting spam, you can be like, told ya. Yeah. I think they're legit. They're just too lazy to, maybe they have anxiety. They're like, what if I answer this wrong? Right. What, what if time is not a flat circle? I'll be excluded. Like, what if time's a, a, a Taurus? They have no idea. <laughs> they could say it. If they say Taurus, that's fine. I'll let them in. So you're going to let in any plausible answer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even they don't have you, to answer it right. Even if you think it's hornwash. If I say, what shape is time? and you give any answer other than I don't know, 
it's <laughs> just as correct as any other. You'll accept any answer. What if the answer is, screw you, John, I'm not answering your questions. Uh, oh, I think you are I, looking for I'd a approve, different Facebook group. I'd approve that one. You're looking for the screw you, John Facebook group. Which is much which larger. also has a big <laughs> active fan base. Uh, listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Uh, we hope and pray that whatever catastrophe looms in front of us uh, may never come. We hope all the experts are wrong together. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for yet another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.